and welcome to the New City Church Podcast. I'm Benjamin Komanopoli Jr., pastor of New City Church Hyderabad. This is where you will hear messages preached at our church. It's my prayer that the incorruptible seed of God's Word will strengthen you, build you, and help you receive the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Enjoy the Word and be blessed. So this is going to be a month where we really focus on prayer. Starting tonight, uh, we're starting our time of fasting and prayer as well. And so today, what I want to do is start a series on prayer. Everyone say prayer. And more specifically, the name of the series is called The Way of Prayer. Everyone say The Way of Prayer. Okay, so this is going to be part of knowing God, but this is going to be a different series called The Way of Prayer. Amen. Now, when, it, when we, uh, I've said this before, it's not, uh, in, when we're on the journey of knowing God, one of the things that we're going to know is, are the ways of God. Everyone say the ways of God. Okay, and the ways of God uh, are a way in which we know God better than we've known Him before. For example, when it came to the nation of Israel, the Bible says that the children of Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses was the only one who knew the ways of God. And that's one of the reasons why Moses knew God more intimately than the nation of Israel. Everyone had the equal opportunity of knowing God at the same degree. However, everyone did not know God at the same level or at the same degree. We see clearly that Moses God, sorry, Moses knew God more intimately and better than the rest of the nation of Israel. And one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why the Bible says that the children of uh, Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses was the one who knew the ways of God. And so this morning, as we're beginning to talk about prayer, I want us to understand that prayer is also one of the ways of God. Amen? And so today, we're going to start talking about the way of prayer, the way of prayer. And when we're talking about prayer today, it's going to be a foundational thing. And again, uh, we're going to be meeting every single day for the next uh, nearly 22 days, actually, uh, because uh, 21 days ends on a Saturday. And then on Sunday, we're going to be celebrating our church anniversary. So for the next 22 days, we're going to be seeing each other every day. All right. And so we're going to have a lot of time to talk about prayer today. What I want to do is, especially in the, in the morning services, I want us to lay a certain foundation so that we can build on that foundation together as a church and learn about God and know God more intimately than ever before. If you understand that, say amen. All right, so prayer is uh, uh, not something that is, uh, um, you know, very unique, so to speak. Prayer, in fact, whenever you're talking about God, whenever you're talking about religions, uh, uh, prayer is, is almost second nature. Prayer is the next thing that you start talking about. Why? Because um, Christians are not the only ones who pray. Every religion in the world prays. Every person that is following any kind of religious system prays. Even the ones that are new age and they might say that the universe is God and other things like that. They also spend time in prayer and meditation. They can use different words but at the end of the day what they're trying to say is we're using this way, we're using a particular tool or a method to somehow tr uh, uh, you know, communicate to this divine being. We're somehow using this method of prayer to communicate to the God of the universe or to communicate to the universe as, uh, again, I'm not saying communicate to the universe. I'm just telling you that's what some of the uh, people believe in their belief system or in their worldview, that they're communicating to the universe or the God of the universe. If you understand that, say amen. So it's very easy to be misled or to have a misunderstanding of what true prayer is. Why? Because it's so common. 
And anytime something is very common, there are a lot of ideas about the thing that is so common. So when it comes to prayer, because everybody nearly prays, and even the atheist comes the right, when, when the right situation shows up in their life, they also begin to pray. Now, they can pray to the unknown God, as we see even in the book of Acts. But, and so you can pray to certain things or someone that you don't even know, but in, in a time of desperation, you cry out for help, right? Now, because everybody prays, or nearly everybody prays, there are so many different ideas about prayer. And so it becomes very important to really understand from a biblical foundation and as a Christian, how does your prayer uh, uh, different, uh, how is your prayer different from the prayers of every other uh, person that is following a, a particular worldview that is different from yours? Or a, you know, is a religious person but does not believe in the things that you believe and they say they are praying. How does your prayer differ from the prayers that they are praying? Are you understanding that? All right. So one of the things that I want us to understand is w w when, when you pray without understanding. Here are a couple of things I want you to understand. When you pray without understanding, prayer will be nothing more than a one-dimensional religious activity. All right. When you pray without understanding or when you are praying without the understanding that the scriptures talk about, what does prayer become? Prayer becomes nothing more than a one-dimensional religious activity. And so what you think is prayer is me talking to God. Me talking to God. It's not a two-way uh, communication. It's simply a one-way communication. That's what many people relegate prayer to. It's just me talking to God. It's just me letting God know the things that must be done in my life. All the requests that I have, it's about me letting God know about those requests. It becomes one-dimensional. And also, in many occasions, what happens is when you do it without understanding, prayer is simply the last resort in a time of need. Prayer is simply a last resort in the time of need. So you try everything else. You go to your relatives, you go to your friends, you go to the doctor, you go to the lawyer, you go to the um, um, you know, uh, loan officer, whatever the case may be. And you try everything that you know, and when nothing seems to work, it becomes the last resort. Okay, let me at least try prayer, right? And so that becomes your default mode or default way of thinking regarding prayer when you are understanding prayer or when, you, when the concept of prayer is, um, you know, um, or, or when you live with a certain concept in your life that is not based on a biblical understanding of prayer. But when you begin to pray with understanding, here are a couple of examples of what prayer becomes. Prayer is a multidimensional um, essential activity. When you begin to understand prayer, the way the Bible talks about, then you understand that prayer is not, uh, uh, you know, one-dimensional, but prayer is multi-dimensional. And it's an essential thing. It's not the last resort. It's an essential part of the life of a Christian. All right? Now, so what happens is in this multi-dimensional activity, now you understand that asking for help is part of prayer. Partnering with God is part, part of prayer. Allowing God to get involved in human affairs is part of prayer. Communion with God is also part of prayer. Are you understanding that? So all of these things are part of prayer. So prayer is not simply us running to God in the time of need, or prayer is not simply a one-way communication with God. If you understand that, say amen. All right, go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Let's see, let's look at what Jesus says or has to say about prayer, right? 
the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and let's pick up in verse 5. And it says, and when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray, he says when, everyone say when. So if he's saying when you pray, what is the expectation? That everyone's going to do it, right? If, if he starts off by saying if you pray, that means, okay, that means there is an op uh, option of you not praying. But here he doesn't say if, but he says when you pray. So he says, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, and they, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees you in the secret will reward you openly. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do for they think they will be heard for their many words therefore do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him amen now in these scriptures uh, Jesus starts off actually by talking about what not to do in prayer so here we see this is not an exhaustive list or this is not the complete list but here we see we see certain do's and don'ts of prayer all right, certain do's and don'ts of prayer. So at the very beginning, we must understand what we're supposed to do in prayer and what we're not supposed to do in prayer. How we must approach prayer and how we should not approach prayer. Why we should pray or for, with what motives and purpose we must pray and with what motives and purposes we should not have when we pray. Are you understanding that? So here are a couple of things that he says, he tells us not to do when we pray or, or what to do. Let's start off with the positive, the do's of prayer. Number one, in verse six, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who sees you in the secret place and your father who sees you in the secret place will reward you openly. Now, the first thing, pray for the reward that comes from God. Pray for the reward that comes from God. Pray for the reward that comes from God. So when we're going into a time of prayer, we're not looking to human sources. We're going to a time of prayer. Why? Because the reward comes from God. Everyone say from God. So there's a certain way in which we approach God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. And then he says, those who approach him must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? Hallelujah. So the reward is going to come into your life. Now that's reward here. Jesus says it's not going to be a secret reward. It's going to be a reward that is shown publicly, that is shown openly. Why? Because you have sought God or you have prayed the way you're supposed to pray or you have sought God for the things that can only come into your life through him. Then what's going to happen is he says he is going to reward you openly. Everyone say openly. And so as we go on this journey of prayer, as we go on this journey of knowing God, I want every one of you to be, every one of you to expect reward that is public and open from God. Hallelujah. That means every one of us, there must be a change in our life and that change is not just something that is internal and that's going to happen too. But there's got to be a change that is external that you don't have to tell people, other people will begin to notice it in your life. Hallelujah. All right. The second thing is here in verse eight here, the second uh, do of prayer is pray knowing that your heavenly father knows what you need, that he knows what you need. 
So in verse 8 he says, Therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you things you have need of before you ask. Everyone say before. Come on, everyone say before. All right. So here he's saying, don't pray like everyone else. The difference in their prayer and your prayer is you're not praying to inform God about something he doesn't know. You are praying because he already knows. Are you understanding that? So he says, every time you approach your heavenly father in prayer, always remember, you are not informing him of the things that you need because he doesn't know. He already knows the things that you need. Now, a couple of don'ts regarding prayer. Number one, don't pray for the reward or approval of people. Don't pray for the reward or approval of people. What were the hypocrites doing? They were, they were praying out in public. Why? Because they wanted people to think of them a certain way. They wanted them to think, oh, such a prayerful man. Oh, such a prayerful woman. Oh, such a holy man. Such a holy woman. Such a diligent man. Such a diligent woman. And what, they were praying not to actually have communion with God. They were praying not to walk in the ways of God. But they were praying to be noticed by people. Are you understanding that? So what's happening here, the, the act may be right, but the motives are wrong. The motives are wrong. So it's simply not enough just to say that we are praying. We must make sure that the motives of our prayer are also in the right direction. Are you understanding that? So the first don't is, don't just do it for the sake of receiving somebody's reward or for a human reward or to be appreciated by somebody or to be noticed by somebody. Are you understanding that? You, you, you pray because you want a certain girl to think that you are a very holy man. Or you're trying to impress the girl that you like in church and so now you start praying more than ever before. You've got it wrong. Are you understanding that? So you're running after a reward that comes from a man but not from? Come on, not from? God. So let's make sure that we're not putting on an act but that we're sincere, that, that we're going to God with the right motives. Everyone say right motives. All right, the second don't is, he says, don't use vain repetitions in verse 7. Here he says, and when you pray, do not use vain, repeti re vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now here's the other part. He says, why do they do vain repetitions or why do they keep repeating the same thing over and over again here? For they think they will be heard for their many words. In other words, they think they will be heard because of their works. They think they will be heard because of their works. They don't think they will be heard because God is their heavenly father and he loves them and he's showing grace upon their lives and he wants to speak to them and he wants to hear their voice. No, that's not the motive. That, what they think is, if I keep repeating this prayer over and over and over and over again, that's when God's going to hear me. And here he says, Jesus is laying the foundation and he says, that is absolutely not the way we're supposed to pray. If you understand that, say amen. Now, that cuts across a lot of tradition. That cuts across a lot of uh, uh, religious understanding or religious ways of thinking. Why? Because some of you, based on the backgrounds that you come from or that I come from, we have been trained to pray certain prayers over and over and over again. And we simply do that out of religious activity. Or we simply do that from a uh, uh, um, you know, traditional mindset. We don't even realize why we're praying what we're praying certain times. And we simply just keep 
praying the same prayers over and over and over again. Are you understanding that? And a lot of times we're praying. Now, certain times, these are prayers that have already been written, you know, from scriptures at certain times. Even the Lord's Prayer in, in, in Matthew chapter 6 that we see a couple of verses down the line, we see the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of times people repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over again. Some of you learned it in, when you went to certain schools every single morning, you know, in, in assembly or something. You repeated that over and over again. Some of you went to churches that every time you gathered, you, you prayed the Lord's Prayer over and over again. And, and as a result of doing that over and over again, you don't even know why you are saying certain things. You don't even know what you are saying. You don't even understand understand the reality of what you are asking God for, but you simply keep repeating things as a parrot. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Why? It is vain repetition. It's vain repetition. Now, if there is such a thing as vain repetition, there is such a thing as profitable repetition as well. All right? And I'm going to show you the difference. There is, because the Bible also talks about confessing the word. The Bible also talks about praying diligently or consistently. What's the difference between just praying repetitively, having vain repetitions and then praying consistently? We're going to understand that and we're going to learn that. But I want you to understand, simply building your prayer life on tradition is not going to help you know God the way you're supposed to know God. Are you understanding that? So because Mark chapter 7 talks about how tradition will make the word of God of no effect. And everything that we understand about prayer needs to come from the word. And the prayers that we see in the word as well. What are the prayers that we are supposed to pray? And what are the prayers that are based on the old covenant? Or what are the prayers that we don't, no longer have to pray? If you don't understand that, you will simply repeat things and they will become vain repetitions in your life. If you understand that, say amen. Mark chapter 7 verse 13 talks about that. He says, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which have been handed down. Which have been handed down. Now, there are certain traditions that are handed down that are good. that are beneficial. But not every tradition that is handed down is good and beneficial. Are you understanding that? Jesus followed certain traditions in his life. But then, Jesus also broke certain traditions in his life. If you read the, the, his story carefully, you will see that there are several traditions that he kept breaking over and over and over again. But at the same time, you will see there are certain traditions he continued even through his life. See, for example, even if you look at Matthew chapter 6, let's just go there. Uh, let's continue in Matthew chapter 6. If you go, we read till verse 8. So verse 8 says, Therefore, do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Then he says from verse 9, in this manner, pray, therefore pray, sorry. So here he's talking about all the things that you're not supposed to do, all the things that you're supposed to do. And then he says, in this manner, pray. He says, our heavenly father, uh, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right. Now this is what is most commonly called as the Lord's Prayer. And many of you know this uh, prayer. Many of you, um, you know, have repeated this prayer, uh, you know, maybe hundreds of times. And especially if you went to school that made you do it every single morning, maybe thousands of times over, over your lifetime. However, the question is, why, are, why is this prayer being repeated so many times? And the question we must ask is, is this a, a, a prayer that we can build our lives on? 
See, rather than Jesus did not say that this is the Lord's prayer. Number one, are you understanding that? Neither did he say that this is the only way that you're supposed to pray. In fact, what you need to understand is that the, the way you can look at that prayer that Jesus modeled there is simply that it's a model. That's it. Nothing more than that. It's not a sacred prayer. He's, it was simply a model that he was showing. Why? Because a lot of things, you, you must understand that a lot of things that Jesus talked about, you, he, he was speaking it to an old covenant audience and he was speaking those things before the finished work of the cross. That means he was talking to an audience that did not know or did not experience and were not the beneficiaries of the death, burial and resurrection. Are you understanding that? They were not beneficiaries of, death, of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. In other words, they were not beneficiaries of the new covenant. They were still living under the old covenant and under the old covenant, he's teaching them certain things. Are you understanding that? So here, one of the new things that he introduces is he starts off by calling God Father. For, go back to that verse, please. Go back to verse 9. Here, here he says, in this manner, pray. He did not say, pray this prayer. He said, in this manner, use this model. In other words, then he says, our Father in heaven. Now, have you ever seen somebody pray to God as Father before this? No. You never see that. You never see that. So that's where he was breaking tradition. For the very first time, he's saying, this is how we're going to pray. We're going to say, our Father. He's not simply saying, my Father. Here he's saying, our Father. Are you understanding that? So he's breaking tradition from the way people used to pray. Nobody said, our Father. What is he doing? He's introducing them to what was yet to come. Are you understanding that? Are you understanding that? See, to the people that he was talking... God was not yet their father. How do you become a child of God? Come on, somebody. By receiving Christ, by receiving salvation, by understanding the death, burial and resurrection and what it does to you. That's the whole point of you becoming a new creation. If you are not a new creation, you're not part of the family of? If you're not part of the family of God, he is not your? It's as simple as that. He's not your father. That's why Moses did not say daddy. Elijah did not say my father, my father. Daniel did not pray and say my father, my father, when he prayed three times a day. No. No. It was God Almighty, and that's it. For the very first time, Jesus says, our Father. And yet, they were not really the children of God yet. Why? Because he did not yet give his blood, and the new covenant had not yet started. So what is he doing? He's introducing them to a, re to a reality that they have not yet entered. Are you understanding that? So he says, our Father uh, uh, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse nine, 10, here he says, thy kingdom, oh, let me see, one sec. Yeah, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, here's what you need to understand. For the Christian today, God's kingdom is here. 
two things. Jesus said, wherever the works of the enemy are being destroyed, wherever the works of the kingdom of God or wherever the works of God are being manifested, that's where the kingdom manifested. Number one. Number two, the Bible also says that the kingdom of God is where? Within us. Everyone say within me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say within me. Right? The kingdom of God is within you. So you're no longer saying, Lord, let your kingdom come here. Why? Because the kingdom has come. Are you understanding that? Because of the work of Jesus, the kingdom has come. So here he was saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on where? On earth as it is in heaven. Then he goes on to say, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now give us this day our daily bread. You don't have to pray that prayer. Why? What does 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says? All things that pertain to your life and godliness have been given. They have been given. If they've already been given, that means you don't have to say, Lord, please give me my daily bread. Why? Because they have been given. It's just like you don't have to say, God continue to forgive me. Why? Because you have been forgiven. Are you understanding that? You don't have to say, God, please save me. Why? Because he has saved you. When you realize, what are you confessing? You're, you're not saying, God, please save me. And then Jesus saves you. No, you are confessing that he took your sins. He died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead. If you believe and you confess that you are saved, not by asking God, please save me. Are you saved? You are saved based on what you believe about what he has already done for you. Are you understanding that? So in the same way, here he says, give us our daily bread. But now the Bible says in the new covenant, he says, all things that pertain to life and godliness have been given. And then he goes on to say, verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive, us, forgive our debtors. Forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. So you're saying, God treat me the way I treat other people? Do you really want God to treat you that way? Do you really want God to think about you the way you think about other people? The way you struggle to show love? The way you struggle to show unforgiveness? The way you struggle to, to, to quickly respond in love? To, to you know, uh, uh, overflow grace upon them and, and, and have an overflow of unending love towards them? You struggle with that. Do you want God to struggle the same way with you? No, you don't. You're not forgiven based on how many people you forgive. You are forgiven simply by the grace of God. You forgive because you have been forgiven. You love because you have been loved by him. He even, even when it comes to God, he says, we love him, not because, sorry, we love him because he first loved us. Well, our, our love is not, you know, uh, uh, the initiation of the relationship. Our love is a response to the love that God has shown us. We love him because he first loved us. Are you, are you understanding that? So how did we receive forgiveness? We did not receive forgiveness because we forgave other people. We received forgiveness and we said, oh my goodness, Lord, your grace is amazing to me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me, not saved a, a, a forgiving person like me. Not saved somebody as righteous as me. No, amazing grace. Why is it so amazing? Because I was not willing to forgive others, but you in your mercy and grace have forgiven me. Come on, say amen to that. 
In your mercy and grace, you have forgiven me. So I forgive others. Why? Because you have forgiven me first. You have forgiven me first. See, in the Old Testament, it was not that way. But we're no longer in the old, but we are in the new. So we're not, our, our debts and our, our, our sins are not being forgiven based on how we forgive others. No, uh, the more we begin to understand how much we've been forgiven of, the more we begin to forgive other people in our lives as well. Hallelujah. Then he goes on to say, in verse 13, he says, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, you can pray that every single day. Every single morning you can wake up and say, God, deliver me from the evil one. God, deliver me from the evil one. God, deliver me from the evil one. And the more you say it, what, 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 what kind of mindset do you have? You have the mindset of somebody that is captive. You have the, the mindset of somebody that is dominated by the enemy and you're you're constantly praying and saying God deliver me God deliver me God deliver me God deliver me and every time you pray that prayer what are you saying God deliver me in other words you're saying God you have not delivered me 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 and we think that's prayer and what are we repeating over and over and over again we're repeating the fact that God has not delivered us. But if you look at Colossians chapter 1, what does the Bible say? Let, let's go there. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12. Here he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Verse 13, he has delivered us. Everyone say delivered me. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say delivered me. Now is that he will deliver when you pray? Is, does that, does, is that what the Bible says? Does it say he will deliver you when you get to heaven? No. He says he has delivered us from what? And conveyed us where? Into the kingdom of the son of his love. In other words, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. So here he's saying... He, we have been delivered. Not something that will happen when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Let me put that in quotes. The Lord's Prayer every single day. Because he did not say it's the Lord's Prayer. That somebody else, a human being, that, that labeled it as the Lord's Prayer. So here we see, he has delivered us. Not will deliver. How did he deliver us? By the work of Christ on the cross. Are you understanding that? So when Jesus was speaking in Matthew chapter 6, did he die on the cross? No. He did not. So why, when we are living, we are not living during the time of Matthew chapter 6. We're living after the time of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. So we no longer pray and say, deliver me from the evil one. Why? Because he's delivered us from where? From the power of darkness. From the power of darkness. We have been delivered. Somebody say, I, am, I have been delivered. You have been delivered from the power of darkness. Now, if, you've, you've, if you have been delivered from the power of darkness, that means you can overcome. That, you can, that means you can face the enemy. That means you no longer have to say, God deliver me, God deliver me, God deliver me. Why? Because he has delivered you. 
See, do you wake up every single morning and say, God save me today? Come on, talk to me. No, you don't. Why do you not pray every single... What's the most important thing? That you be delivered from the evil one or that you be saved? That you be saved. That's the most important thing. Even if you keep falling into temptation, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what? That you be saved. And but the most important thing, you're not waking up every single day and saying, God save me today. 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 Why? Because you have been saved. And if you're not asking God to save you every single day, why are you asking God to deliver you every single day? It's the same cross. It's the same work on the cross. Are you understanding that? So he died for you. He rose again from the dead for you and for your new creation. If you understand that, say amen. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will, he will flee from you. But in order for him to flee from you, please understand this. The key to making sure the devil flees from you is not asking God to deliver you from the evil one. Is the light bulb turning on? The key to being delivered or making sure that the enemy runs away from you is not asking God to deliver you. The key to making sure that the devil leaves you alone and that the devil runs away from you is not asking God to deliver you, but it is to resist the devil. Now, how do you resist the devil? He says, therefore, submit to God. In other words, therefore, submit to the word. In other words, therefore, submit yourself to the finished work of the cross. Submit yourself to that reality. Submit yourself to that truth. And then he says, resist the devil. Why? Because you've been given authority. Resist the devil. Why? Because you've been delivered from the power of darkness. He's a powerless foe. Are you understanding that? He's a powerless foe. He's a powerless enemy. And therefore you resist him. And when you resist him, what happens? He flees. See, when you have a, a, a strong enemy... What happens when you resist a strong guy? He'll fight back. Who are the ones, when you threaten them, they run away? Cowards. Guys who really have no power. Have you ever seen videos or even in movies and other places like they talk a big talk and they threaten and they'll do this and they'll do that and, and, and then somebody takes them up on the challenge? You want to hit? Okay, come on, come outside. Let's fight. And all of a sudden, they don't want to fight anymore. You say, let's fight, and they don't want to fight anymore. But until you said, let's fight, they kept talking. They kept talking. They kept threatening. They kept threatening. They, that's what the enemy is. That's what the devil is in your life and in my life. Hallelujah. See, but the moment you say, come, on, come outside, let's fight. Come outside, let's fight. He's not going to come out. He's going to leave that place. Why? You resist him one time. He will flee from you. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. He will flee from you. Why? Because that's the power and authority that has been given to every child of God. If you understand that, say amen. So once you begin to understand this, now you need to pray from a new perspective. Everyone say new perspective. Now, new perspective means three things primarily. Number one, new covenant. Number two, new creation. Number three, new kingdom. 
Pray from this perspective. Don't just pray from a religious perspective. Don't just pray from a traditional perspective. Now, even when I use those words religious or traditional, I'm not putting, I'm not throwing everything, I'm not throwing the baby with the bathwater. Do you understand that? I'm not saying every tradition is wrong. I'm not using, if anybody uses the word religion or religious, I'm not saying that all of that needs to be thrown in the trash. But however, I am saying the bath water is not good for you. Don't throw the baby, but definitely throw the bath water. Are you understanding that? We're not throwing the baby. We're keeping the baby safe. But we are throwing the bath water. Why? Because it's dirty. And you don't want to keep swimming in that bath water. Even though the bath was helpful for a certain amount of time, it's not a swimming pool to stay there. That water needs to be thrown away. Are you understanding that? So, so new covenant, new creation, new kingdom. Why do, why do we need to pray with this perspective? Because if you don't pray with this perspective, you, if, if it's not the new covenant, you'll be thinking like a person of the old covenant. Now, why should you not think like a person of the old covenant? It's simple. You're not living under the old covenant. See, why should you not live like somebody who is in the 1930s in India? Because you have independence now. You're living after 1947. You're no longer bound by the, uh, uh, by the monarch, by, by, by the United Kingdom. You no longer have to be afraid of the United Kingdom. You no longer have to wake up and say, uh, please deliver me from what the, the people of the United Kingdom are doing. Why? You've been delivered. You're no longer a slave to them. Why? So, so any person that is living in India must live from an independent country mindset. Are you understanding that? In the same way, every Christian that prays that lives this Christian life, you must have a, put those things back up on the screen, you must have a new covenant mindset. A new covenant. So every prayer that you pray, you must ask yourself, wait a minute, I'm asking God this, but like, based on the new covenant, did he do something about this? Based on the new covenant, should I be saying these things? Based on the new covenant, should I even be asking these things? Based on the new covenant, did he already do something about the very thing that I'm asking him to do? Did he already do, uh, tell me certain things in his word regarding the very things I'm asking him to do for me? Why? Because now you are under the new covenant. Hebrews tells us that once the new covenant has come into place, the, the, it replaces the old covenant. And therefore we must have an understanding and a new perspective of uh, prayer and everything else that we do in our life. If you understand that, say amen. The second thing is new creation. Why is that so important? Because with the introduction of the new covenant came the blessing of you and I becoming a new creation, which means our identity has changed. Our identity has changed. So, pastor, why should I have a new creation identity? Why must I pray with the new creation mindset? Because if you play, pray with an old covenant or old uh, creation mindset, you are, you are uh, um, you know, praying and you're trying to talk to God without carrying the identity that is called you by. It's like my children approaching me like a servant when they're my children. Like if somebody says like, why, why, why must the people that are employed by you approach you a certain way and why do your children approach you a different way? You don't struggle with that. You say, I mean, isn't that obvious? They're not your kids and these are your kids. I don't want everyone that I give a job to, to come and sit on my lap. 
Are you understanding that? You know, I, I can show them the love of God, but I'm not going to feed every single one of them. But when it comes to my kids, I'll feed them. I'll change their clothes. I'll do, I'm not going to do that for every person. Why? Simply based on identity. Identity. They're my kids. They have every right. They'll run. I'm, I, you know, I can be busy. They're, they don't need an appointment. They run. They sit on my lap. They jump on me. They pull my hair. They'll do anything they want. Why? They're my kids. They're my kids. Simply based on identity. Now, if you see one of my kids behaving like one of my employees when they approach me, would you say, would you look at that and say, so sweet of them? Would you say that? Or would you say, something's wrong in that relationship? Why do they struggle to go and talk to their father? Why are they so afraid of their father? Why do they, you know, try to avoid their father? Why are they staying so far away from their father? You will think something is wrong. Why? Because you would want my children to live from the identity of them being my children. Isn't that true? Well, guess what? Guess what? You are a child of the Most High God. Hallelujah. You're a child of the Most High God. So when you pray, pray from that foundation. Don't pray from any other foundation. Understand that you're a new creation and begin to pray from that foundation. And number three, new kingdom. You are delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That means you are now your residence is the kingdom of God. That means everything that is available in the kingdom is yours today. Everything that is available in the kingdom belongs to you. And so you must operate, you must pray from that mindset. If you understand that, say amen. All right, in the few minutes that we have, let me quickly give you a couple of reasons to pray. And I believe this will uh, be a good foundation for us to then close today and then pick up later tonight. All right, a couple of reasons as to why we need to pray. Number one, the first reason is God commanded us to pray. We see it that it is a command. We see that it is a command. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. He simply says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray. Sorry, that they ought always to pray and not to turn coward. How many, how many, uh, 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 according to Jesus, we ought to always pray. Not sometimes pray, but we are supposed to always. Everyone say always. We're supposed to always pray. So it's a command. So he tells us to pray. And so the first reason that we ought to pray is because it has been commanded. Now, actually, let me do this very quickly. Let's continue to read that uh, in, in verse 2. He said, um, Luke chapter 18, verse 2. He said, in a certain city, now he's talking about a parable. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither reverenced or, and feared God, nor respected or considered man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming. Everyone say, kept coming. Kept coming to him and saying, protect and defend and give me justice against my adversary. And for a... And for a time he would not. But later he said to himself, Though I have neither reverence or fear for God, nor respect or consideration for man, yet because this widow continues to bother me, I will defend and protect and avenge her, lest she give me intolerable annoyance and wear me out by her continual coming, or at least she come and rail on me or assault me or strangle me. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. 
he will and will not our just God defend and protect and avenge his elect chosen ones who cry to him day and night. He Will he defer them and delay help on their behalf? I tell you, he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. All right. Now, many, many people have looked at this portion of scripture and a lot of things have been taught regarding prayer from this portion of scripture. And sometimes... When I teach you about the prayer of faith and other things that I, where I've said, don't keep talking to God about the same issue over and over and over again. Some people to, to, uh, uh, look at these scriptures and they, they've, their understanding of prayer has been birthed from these verses that we've read. Now, um, let me clarify certain things so that as we move forward, we, we're on the same page in our understanding. And what I mean uh, uh, regarding vain repetitions and when it is okay to pray about certain things over and over again. Are you understanding that? Now, many of you who were taught the scriptures regarding prayer from this portion of scripture, you were taught about approaching God like this widow woman. So the, the, the context of you understanding prayer is Jesus is talking about this woman who is approaching the judge and now we are supposed to approach God like this woman is approaching the judge. All right? Now, here's the problem. The problem is Jesus was never talking about this judge as God. That's number one, the problem. Because he is an unjust judge and God is not an unjust God. Number one. Number two, you see very clearly a description of that judge. Very clearly here he says, um, verse two he says, in a certain city there was a judge who neither reverenced and feared God nor respected or considered man. Now does that look like the nature of your heavenly father? Now he's God himself so it's not like he can fear himself. But when it comes to considering man, is God somebody that considers man or does not consider man? Considers man. So this is not talking about your heavenly father. Then he goes on to say in verse 4, look at what it says in verse 4. The judge did not, um, but later he said to himself, though I have neither reverence or fear for God, nor consideration for man. So number one, this does not sound like God. Verse five, yet because the widow continues to bother me, then he says, lest she give me intolerable annoyance and wear me out by her continual coming or at, at the last she come and rail on me or assault me or strangle me. Do you think we can rail God, assault God or strangle God? No. This is not talking about your heavenly father. You are not the widow in this story. Or you're not that woman who's seeking for justice. You're not the woman who's going before God like this woman went to the judge. And many people have had this idea. See, the woman went over and over and over and over and over again. And finally the judge caved in. And so I'm going to go over and over and over again. And what are we saying by that? We're saying that God is like that unjust judge. What was the point of why Jesus was saying this whole thing? Continue reading. In verse 7, here he says, And will not our just God defend and protect and avenge who cry to him day and night? Look at this question. Will he defer them or delay help on their behalf? 
Now that was a rhetorical question. But what's the answer to that question? Will he defer or delay help on behalf of the people? Will God delay help? Come on, loudly. No. no. Because what does the verse next say? Ne next verse, verse 8. I tell you, he will, everyone say will. He will defend and protect and avenge them. How? 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 Come on, loudly, how? Speedily. Not after taking some time. Not after delaying the process. So all of those verses is not talking about your heavenly father. What he's doing is he's comparing and saying, if an idiot in this world can do so much, if an unjust judge can do so much, how much more your heavenly father? He's not saying, look at that unjust judge. He's like our God. Look at that woman. She's just like you. That's not the point. And it's been taught over and over again like that's the point. You see how that woman went over and over and over again? We must also go over and over and over. And Jesus was telling us the exact opposite of that. Because look at what the next verse says. Verse 9. Or sorry, in verse 8 he says, I tell you he will defend and protect and avenge them speedily. Look at what he says now. However, in other translations, in other words, he says, nevertheless. Now, however, you've heard about all of this, however. Here's the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find persistence in what? Faith. That's the point. That's the point. The point is not about prayer. The point was about faith. And what happened is we completely missed that part. And we said, oh, we, I need to come. And that's why we pray over and over and over and over. God save my son. God save my son. God save my son. God save my son. January, God save my son. February, God save my son. March, God save my son. December, God continue to save my son. Why? I'm like that woman. I continue. I continue. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not... And what are you doing? You're asking God again and again. So do you think, either you think he's deaf. Or either you think he's powerless. Like, we just talked about my children. When my children keep asking me for the same thing over and over again, that does not make me happy. Especially when, okay, daddy, I want some biryani today. Okay. Okay, you don't have to tell me 10 times. Now, I'm a man, flesh and blood, flesh and bone. So I might forget and my, my kids might say, Daddy, did you order? Oh, sorry, let me do it. God's not like me. Are you understanding that? He's not forgetting. What, what did we read in Matthew chapter 6? He knows your needs before you ask. Before you ask. So here, what he's saying is, he says, nevertheless, here's the thing. When the Son of Man shows up, will he find any faith? Faith in what? 
Faith in the goodness of God. Faith in, the, in your heavenly father. Faith that he knows what you need. Faith that he has delivered you from everything. Faith that you will receive everything that you ask when you pray. Are you understanding that? So the point was never about going and bothering God. Why do you think God, do you really think every time you pray, God thinks, oh my goodness, I have to talk to this guy again. Such a bother. You think God's thinking about you that way? No. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to fellowship with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Hallelujah. So the point was never about comparing your heavenly father to that unjust judge. The point was never about going again and again and again and again and bothering. The point was, will he find faith? Will he find faith? Are you understanding that? 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. That means consistently pray. Consistently pray. So number one, the first reason why we ought to pray is because God commanded us to pray. Number two. The second reason is to fellowship with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 2. Let me give you a couple of scriptures quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. For the one who, sorry, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So whenever you're praying in other tongues, what's happening? You are speaking to God. In other words, you're fellowshipping with God. You're fellowshipping with God. Now, pastor is speaking in tongues for everybody. Yes, when it comes to your heavenly language of prayer, it is for everybody. It is for everybody. There is a differentiation and I'm going to probably next month, I'll spend more time about talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and all of those things and you'll begin to have more clarity. But even if you need to get started, Acts chapter 19, starting from verse 1 through 7. Acts chapter 19, starting from verse 1 through 7. Let me read it quickly. Here he said, and because see, one of the things you must understand, every time the baptism of the Holy Spirit is talked about, you will always see that everyone present were filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single instance that you see, every single time that you see, everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the evidence? They began to speak with other tongues. What was the evidence? They began to speak with other tongues. All right? So Acts chapter 19 Verse 1 through 7, and it happened while Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into, the, into what then were you baptized? So look, look at Paul's assumption here. Look at Paul's expectation. Paul's expectation is you're a disciple and you, if you were not baptized with the Holy Spirit, what were you baptized with? So Paul's expectation is you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, then obviously you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Obviously you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he asks the question, what then were you baptized with? Then he says, so they said into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with baptism of repentance. That's why they, they repented of their sins. Baptism of repentance saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him that is on Jesus Christ. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with 
tongues and prophesied. Verse 7, now the men were about 12 in all. That means what? All 12 of them were baptized with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Are you understanding that? All right. The third reason why we ought to pray is for growth and transformation. We pray for growth and transformation in our lives. We pray for growth. Why? The Christian life is never meant to be a stagnant life. There must be consistent growth, constant growth in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Why does he edify himself when he speaks in a tongue? Because he's speaking to God and that's how he edifies himself. But when he prophesies, he's prophesying in a language that everybody can understand and therefore it edifies the church. Are you understanding that? But when I'm speaking in other tongues, you don't understand what I'm saying, but I am edifying myself when I speak with uh, uh, with the tongue. Are you understanding that? So when you are praying in the tongue, praying in tongues, you are growing, you're building yourself up, you're edifying yourself. Jude chapter 1, only one chapter in Jude, verse 20 says, but you beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, how? By praying in the Holy Spirit. By praying in the Holy Spirit. I also showed you a couple of weeks ago, Luke chapter 9, verse 28 and 29. The Bible talks about uh, uh, Peter, John, and James went up to the mountain to pray along with Jesus. Verse 29 says, As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. There was a transformation that happened in the time of prayer. Growth and transformation are a result of prayer. Number four, very quickly. The fourth reason why we ought to pray. For warfare and intercession. For warfare and intercession for warfare and intercession. Now, for those of you who have been praying about certain things over and over and over and over again, but pastor, you were saying, you were telling us not to do that over and over again. Yes. Why? Because you understand that certain things belong to you. You understand that Jesus has already done certain things. However, the enemy is a cheat. He is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a thief. So he does not play by the rules. Are you understanding that? See, we have laws in this land. Thieves don't play or don't live according to those laws. The law says you should not trespass into somebody's property. The law says you should not come into somebody's property. The law says you cannot just take away somebody's car, take away somebody's phone. What are they doing? There are laws in the land and yes, the cell phone belongs to you. Yes, the car belongs to you. Yes, the bike belongs to you. Yes, that jewelry belongs to you. Yes, that cash belongs to you. But what does the thief do? He comes to take, he comes to take what belongs to you. And so therefore, even when he comes to take what belongs to you, that's when you get into spiritual warfare. Everyone say warfare. So warfare and intercession are part of a lifestyle of prayer. In the book of James chapter 5, let's look at this. I want you to understand, see, demonic activity is real. Angelic activity is real. Things in the unseen realm are real. In James chapter 5, verse 13 onwards, he says, Is any among you suffering? Let him, come on, let him, everyone loudly, let him. So the question is, he says, if you are suffering, the answer is, begin to pray. Begin to pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. So if you are suffering in any area of your life, the answer is, Prayer. However, that many people know that and that's why many people run to prayer. However, if you do it from a wrong foundation, if you don't do it with a new covenant mindset, a new creation mindset, a new kingdom mindset, 
then you will go down the wrong path. Why? Because everybody in this world prays. Do you remember that? The foundation, everybody prays. So how is my prayer going to be different from the heathen? How is my prayer going to be different from the unbeliever? How is my prayer going to be different from the prayer an atheist will pray at times? Are you understanding that? See, every other human being who is not part of the family of Christ will not pray with a new covenant mindset. Will not pray with a new creation mindset. Will not pray with a new kingdom mindset. If you understand that, say amen. So here he says, verse 14, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the sick and the Lord will raise him up and he uh, has committed, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Verse 17, Elijah, a man with the nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. Hallelujah. Now, when, what you need to understand, why did Elijah stop the rain? Why did he pray again and command the rain to come? See, it was not just something that he did just to show forth his power or the power of God working through him. What you must understand is, during those times, people believed that the, the, they, they were, uh, these people called the rainmakers, people who delved in, 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 in uh, uh, sorcery and witchcraft, and they would control the weather patterns. They would control when it would rain, and they would offer things unto their idols. They would, uh, you know, uh, um, um, get into certain religious activities and pray in, in, to the demons, and so that they would produce the rain. And so what, what Elijah was doing there was he was standing against demonic activity. And what he said was basically, I'm going to stop the rain on this land. And for three years and six months, no matter what kind of person performed any kind of ritual, any kind of sacrifice, any kind of prayers, any kind of demonic activity, the rain did not come. Why? He was waging spiritual warfare. Everyone say warfare. So he was standing against the works of the enemy. And then he said, after three years and six months, he prays again. And that's when the rain comes down. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that's the kind of authority that he walked in. And it happened through prayer. If you understand that, say amen. So he stood against demonic works. And the reality is you can do the same in your life as well. In the book of Acts chapter 12, we see when uh, Peter was uh, in the prison, you see that they prayed and supernatural things began to happen. Angelic activity was experienced by Peter and the, uh, and the church there. Why? Because they began to pray. Spiritual warfare and intercession. Acts chapter 12, verse 5 through 10. And then finally, the last reason why we ought to pray. To make requests and supplication. To make requests and supplication. And this is the one that most people know about. I'm requesting God, I need a job, I need this, I need that, and whatever the case may be. And this is the one thing that most people are well aware of. And that is to make, why do we pray? We pray to make requests and supplication. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, Therefore I say to you, when, when, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them, you will have them. Whatever you pray, 
Whatever you pray, whenever you pray and for whatever you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And this is the reason why I teach against praying about the same thing over and over and over and over again. Why? When you pray, believe that you, come on, believe that you, 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 believe that you receive and then you will have them but if you don't believe that you receive you will not have that's the reason why I stress this so much because in all reality majority of the Christians when it comes to prayer they, they, their understanding of prayer comes down to this fifth reason, which is to make supplication and request known. And number two, the thing that they've been taught for the most time, and sometimes it may have not been the reason, uh, it, it may not be because you've been taught about it over and over again, but somehow religiously, you have this stronghold in your mind that every single day you pray, every time you come to prayer, every time you come to church, that you need to pray about it over and over and over again. You have this stronghold in your mind where you say, I need to ask God again. I need to ask God again. Maybe he forgot, I'll ask God again. Maybe he forgot, I'll ask God again. Maybe he forgot, I'll ask God again. And the entire time, you're not believing that you received. Are you understanding that? The entire time you believe you have not received. And what did Jesus say? Whatever you pray, whenever you pray, for whatever it is, believe that you receive and you will have it. That's why when he was talking about that unjust judge, after saying everything, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith? That was the point. That was the point. Will he find any faith? And so here when he's talking about prayer, he says, believe that you receive and you will have it. He doesn't say, pray 10 times a day and you will have it. He doesn't say pray about it over and over again and you will have it. He said, when you pray, believe you receive. And he says, you'll have it. That's the key. That's the prayer of faith. Believe that you receive. Believe that you receive. In Matthew chapter 6, what did he say? They believe that their prayers will be heard because of their repetition. And he says, don't do it that way. He clearly said, don't do it that way. Don't pray that way. Because your heavenly father is not hearing you based on how many times you pray about it. A lot of times, because you pray about it over and over and over and over again, it just shows the lack of faith. It shows the lack of faith. It's like my daughter coming to me every two minutes and say, did you order? Did you really order? Are you really going to spend that money on me? Are you really going to get that biryani for me? Really? Did you really order daddy? 30 seconds later comes back and say, Did you really order? Daddy, biryani. So it's like every time we come to church, God give me the job. Every time you come, God give me the job. You come, God give me the job. You come, God give me. So what was happening every single time you prayed? See, and we, we, because again, please, 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 please do not take this the wrong way. I am not trying to insult anybody. I'm not trying to, no, my, my point, my entire purpose is to get you out into the light. That's the point. 
That's the point. Because you will know the truth. The Bible says the truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. The truth shall set you free. This is the reason I'm telling you. Because of this, I stand here and say, I don't even know the last time I prayed for a need in my life. I, I genuinely don't know. I genuinely don't. I can't remember the last time I prayed and asked God for something. I genuinely don't. And I say this knowing I'm standing at the altar of God. It's not trying to prove anything to anybody. If I'm lying, may God judge me. I can't remember the last time I asked God for something in my life or for my life. Why? Because when I talk to Him, I pray from a new covenant, new creation, new kingdom perspective. I pray with faith. I thank God for what He's done for me. And every question, every time in my life, I, I feel like there is a need. I go back to Scripture and I see that He's already taken care of it. It's like me ordering biryani before my daughter even comes and asks for biryani. Because I know, oh, she's about to come. Let me order. It's taken care of. It's taken care of. And if I, being flesh and bone, can do that for my daughter, how much more your heavenly Father? How much more? How much more? And somehow we've, again, religion, it makes the word, tradition will make the word of God of no effect. Now, am I saying that praying for something or making a request is wrong? No. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. Am I saying that you should never ask God for it? No, that's not what I said. I'm saying I have not. See, there are, there are realms in God. There are deeper ways in which you know God. I just chose to go down this path. I just said, Lord, I, I see it in you. I'll just stand. I, I'll just stand on that word. You said all things that pertain to life and godliness have been, I'll just stand there. That's it. That's a decision I made. Now there are other scriptures that says, what do you ask? You can stand there and say, I'm going to ask God. Good, no problems. But when you ask, ask in faith. So I'm not judging anybody that prays. Are you understanding that? You live based on the light that has come. You live based on the revelation that you've got. Are you understanding that? People saw Jesus and said, good master. 
All right, he'll be a good master in your life. People saw Jesus and said, he's a healer. Well, he'll be a healer in your life. But then there are people in this world right now, they'll say, he's a good teacher and he'll be a good teacher in your life. They will say, he's a good man, a good religious leader and he'll be a good religious leader in their life. But then there are those who say, he's the way, the truth and the life. I know that I, he's the only way to the Father. He's the, he's the Lord, he's the savior of this world. Without him, there is no forgiveness of sin. And guess what? You live based on that revelation. And he will reveal himself to the degree you invite him into your life. To the degree you invite him into your life. So when the light of 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 came in to my life, it happened just a few years ago. When that life light came in, I just, I, I just took it. I said, all right, that's it. That's it for me and my life. I'm, I'm, I'm standing right there. I'm standing. There's nothing wrong with praying. For me, I'm standing right here. I'm standing right here. God, I'm not moving. I'm not moving anywhere. I'm standing right here. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm standing right here. You've given unto me all things that pertain unto my life and godliness. I'm standing right there. I refuse to move. By your grace, I refuse to move. I refuse to move from that place. I'm going to stand there. Come hell, come high water. Come every demonic attack in my life. I'm standing right there. Come the negative report. I'm standing right there. Come financial pressure. I'm standing right there. Come negative talk. I'm standing right there. Come pressures from ministry. I'm standing right there. Come disobedience from children. I'm standing right there. Come negative reports. I'm standing right there. I'm standing right there. I'm standing right there. All things pertaining to my life, my godliness have been given to me in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So I pray from that perspective. So what happens, Pastor, when you have to rush your kids to the hospital? I say, God, I thank you that healing belongs to me. God, I thank you in my tongue. The power of life. And I choose life for my daughter this morning. I declare, Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, every fiber of her being, every cell in her body functions to the perfection to which you've created it to function. I lay my hands on my daughter and the sick recover in the name of Jesus. No devil in hell is going to steal my daughter. No devil in hell is going to steal my son. No devil in hell is going to steal my parents. No devil in hell is going to steal my family. My church that you've given to me. The people that you've given to me. Lord, the finances that you've given to me. What happens when, when, when you face a financial loss? God, I thank you. That all my needs are well supplied according to your riches in glory. God, I thank you. Every time the devil steals from me, seven time, sevenfold restoration belongs to me. Sevenfold restoration belongs to me. The devil, the devil is afraid to steal from me. Why? Well, every time he steals from me, he needs to pay seven times. It's a loss in his bank account, not mine. Every time he steals, he needs to pay seven times. I'm expensive for the devil. I'm expensive for the devil. I'm expensive for the devil. Don't touch me. Don't touch my kids. Don't touch my kids. Don't touch my wife. Don't touch my life. Don't touch the people God has given me. You'll have to pay 
You'll have to pay. Why? That's what he promised me. That's what God promised me. I don't even, I don't even have to ask. He said that. My heavenly father said that about me. My heavenly father said that about me. So I pray from that perspective. I pray from that perspective. Are you understanding that? Come on, let's stand to our feet. I pray from that perspective. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you that the entrance of your word brings light. Father, as we begin this journey of 21 days of fasting and prayer from this morning, I pray, Lord, let these 21 days be days that change our destinies. Let these 21 days be a time where we know you more intimately than ever before. Let these 21 days be a time where we grow in you. Father, I pray that every door that needs to be opened will be opened. I pray, Father, every way that needs a favor during these 21 days. Lord, I pray, let it be possible for everyone to attend the prayers. For everyone to attend the prayers. Lord, I pray, supernatural favor in their offices. Favor with taking care of responsibilities. Favor with their family. Lord, I pray that everything be pushed aside, moved aside. Some way, somehow, make it possible. Make it possible. Make it possible, Lord, for them. I pray. I thank you, Lord, for teaching us this morning. We thank you that our lives will never be the same again. I thank you, Lord, that religious strongholds were broken today. I thank you that light has come in. And for this, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. I hope you were blessed by the word today. Be sure to subscribe and share this with your family and friends. If you'd like to sow into this ministry, the details are provided in the description. For more information on how to reach us or contact us, do visit our website, www.newcityhyd.in. I will see you again next time. Be blessed.